Hi, I'm Dan Wilton, the CEO of First Mining Gold. First Mining is advancing uh, the Springpole Gold Project in Ontario uh, with some very near-term catalysts there in terms of submitting our final environmental assessment this year and our Duparquet Gold Project in Quebec. Dan, good to see you again. Uh, Happy New Year. I think we're still allowed to say that. Happy New Year um, to you. Thank you very much. Now, um, you've been busy boy since I last saw you. You, you were talking about um, raising some money, but that's closed. Uh, nearly 11 million bucks um, in the bank, hopefully. Um, but I don't want to talk about that um, yet. I want to talk about this um, base shelf prospectus. I, I'm always intrigued when companies do that. I mean, why did you feel the need? Because we're talking about a lot of money there. Yeah, so the base shelf prospectus really is uh, a housekeeping item as far as we're concerned. Um, you know, it's uh, it gives you some real flexibility when you go to raise capital using a prospectus. Now, keep in mind, uh, I've been the CEO here for five years. We've done one prospectus offering in that five years. Most of our other financings have been private placements. But should we choose to do a prospectus offering, it allows you to do it uh, more quickly, less exposure to market volatility, and uh, simplifies kind of simplifies that whole process. So it's good for 25 months from when it's approved, and we should have that final base shell filed this month and go from there. Okay, so it's, it's at your election to, to um, take money, or sorry, speed up the, the process of raising money in an expedited fashion. That That's all that is. That's it, yeah. And you sort of, you qualify a large amount that gives you flexibility to do that, but no plans to do a prospectus offering anytime in the near future here. Gotcha. Okay, here you hear it. Now, here's the thing that didn't interest me, okay, which is when we've talked in the past, okay, people know you've got two huge projects. That it's of interest, and there's you know very few projects of, of this size uh, and, and stage in North America at the moment. Um, again, I don't want to go over old ground, but wouldn't it be easier for you guys to kind of just sit back, wait for the market to do its thing, rather than, I mean, you've got a, a release out about, you know, mineralization at Duparquet, um, you also got your EA um, later this submission later this year. Have you have you been actually busy? <laughs> We've been very busy, and that's you, know, you saw this in the in the news release that came out. So we were active at Duparquet through the through the fall and into the winter. Uh, the drills really only wrapped up, I think, in in uh, late November, early December. So uh, this is some of the drilling that we were doing over the fall as kind of our phase two of what's going to be a three-phase program, and will total ultimately, I think, 20 or 25,000 meters. Um, but this was a really important uh, release in that what it demonstrates is some of that growth potential that we are going to see coming out of Duparquet. And we've, you know, right now we're sitting with uh, a resource at Duparquet, 3.5 million ounces M&I, 2.5 million ounces inferred between the original Duparquet and the Duquesne uh, deposits. But we really believe that we have avenues to see that grow to, you know, 10 million ounces plus. And a lot of that is just following your nose and some of the land consolidation that we've had and why this these drill results are important is they sit in between two of the satellite pits in the Duparquet resource. And the only reason there hasn't been a drill hole there before is that that property was was owned by someone else. One of those resource pits was owned by another company or another group of, of owners until 2016. So this is the first drill hole in between two established resources. And it's, you know, the, the mineralization, we have a, a couple of good charts in the news release that show the mineralization looks like it continues across. There's no reason to believe it doesn't continue across. And now we have drill holes that can... 
So um, that's where we're going to see some of the growth at Duparquet is just in following your nose on existing resources. And we honestly think that some of those, the potential of just that resource extension of known areas can be another 2 million ounces plus. Right. Okay. But who are you signaling this to? Because you're going to look at you know, existing shareholders, right, are going to be saying, look, it's big. It's big enough. And if, but if you do feel like you're going to be doing some drilling, why not, you know, take um, indicated up to inferred? Why not do that sort of thing? Why find new ounces? Who's that sending a message to? I'm sending the message to the industry quite clearly. You know, that's really the target of this is you got to remember this gold deposit, which already is one of the 10 largest gold deposits, undeveloped gold deposits in Canada, is sitting in the middle of what is probably the most sought after gold district, in, certainly in Canada, maybe in the world, in the Abitibi Gold Belt. So uh, we've always believed this to be a critical strategic resource. And this is just further demonstration that I think every ounce that we show that gets this, you know, north of five or six million ounces, um, every ounce that we can demonstrate in growth puts it in an even more rarefied air. And you got to remember that this is, you know, we're sitting 50 kilometers from a copper smelter here. We are, you know, 50 kilometers from a major mining center. We've got paved roads. We've got power lines that go over the project. It's a past producing mine. The infrastructure around here and the ability to operate in the Abitibi is unparalleled. Right. And I get all of that. And we've talked about that before. But if I if I look at who's in this thing, obviously, I think, did, did everyone follow the money like you hoped they would in terms of the, when you closed? Yeah, by and large. I mean, most of the, oh, we raised just shy of $11 million and uh, 2 million of that was uh, management and board. So okay. very good okay. support from the home team. And yep. then largely it was uh, it was existing shareholders. We had more than 100 subscribers, very well supported, really uh, up and down the shareholder list from long-term shareholders who just see it as a really good opportunity to increase their exposure at what we think are ridiculously low prices. So, so the fate, I can, see, the, again, it's like, again, these are sort of conversations that go on in chat rooms and you know, inbound to us all the time. So it's not just a case of the home team drinking the Kool-Aid. It's, there's got to be an actual belief that this thing, you've got ways of monetizing aspects of or parts of or in its entirety what you're sitting on today. So what are, what are the, when you're sort of closing the, these, these, the, that final tranche, it's obviously everyone's bought into what you were signaling to them. So what, what is it that they believe you're going to be able to do? What does the, what is the rest of retail looking at this? Because I, I think you're dirt cheap. Okay, you're you're. I, I think you've, I've got some analysts who agree with me. You're, you're, you're dirt cheap at the moment. And what? Give give me the kind of like three four things which you say right. If you believe the following, this is one of the one of your bets for this year, or one of your reallocations of your portfolio should be us. How how would you position that? If you believe the following, which is that there is a shortage of sizable, meaningful, strategic gold uh, deposits in tier one jurisdictions in the gold industry. I think that's just a fact. Uh, if you have a perspective that you think the gold price is going to increase, uh, which I think every gold investor does, and we certainly have that perspective. Now, we're not relying on that to demonstrate fundamental value. 
Um, but I think it, the leverage that the projects of the size that we have give an investor is unparalleled in the industry because you are getting leverage on massive, massive resources, which translates into, you know, at a higher price, the NPV of our projects goes up very, very quickly. Um, if you believe that we are at, you know, somewhere between two and three standard deviations from the mean on valuations of gold developers right now, I've been doing this for 30 years uh, as an M&A practitioner, as a private equity investor. I will tell you that developers have never been cheaper relative to producers, and that is unsustainable because the producers need to grow. They're going to need to replace resources. They're going to be looking in tier one jurisdictions and ultimately looking for projects of scale like we have. So that almost always gets solved by the strategic market at one point or another. We haven't seen that really vibrantly yet, but I think that we are really poised for that to happen. So if you believe that there's a shortage of projects, big companies have you know attractive valuations, uh, and uh, you're looking for projects that are continuing to advance and teams that have an ability to continue to advance these projects in a downturn, and ability to be supported by their shareholders to have the capital to do it, I think first mining is a great, great bet. Okay, Dan, it was a, just meant to be a quick one, a little update because I think we've got um, conference season kind of kick, kicking off. I think the mood is positive. Um, lots of conversations um, around m and lots of conversations about um, joint ventures and um, and money, money floating, being talked about being investors. So I'm sort of in, intrigued to see how that goes during conference season. But as always, good to speak to you. We'll speak to you soon. You too. Thanks. Take care, man.